Underdog Collectibles is an online shop run by collectors for collectors. Join them every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night as they break new products, talk sports, and hopefully you'll pull a great hit to add to your collection. This week they'll be breaking 2019 Topps Chrome Sapphire, Archives, and some new football releases. Check them out at www.udogcollect if you want to find some breaks that don't break the bank. And remember, tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Always bet on the underdog. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Over the last few months, we've spent some time talking about the escalating price of sealed hobby products. And one of the things that factors into that escalating price and is part of the supply chain that a lot of people have opinions on, but very few people have maybe the actual facts about, is the role of the distributor in that supply chain process. And today I'm bringing on to the show Rob Bertrand from GTS. You may more you may know him better from his live show Go GTS with Ivan. Watch the breaks. And Rob is going to talk a little bit about distributors and the role that they play. And so we sat down for an interview and I asked him some questions about that process so we could hear straight from a distributor get to the bottom of some of these rumors and innuendos to find out how much of that is true and how much of that is maybe not entirely based on fact. And so I'm going to go ahead and run the interview with Rob. Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, absolutely my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's go ahead and get started by maybe just hearing a little bit about your collecting background. Uh, Like a lot of people, uh, I collected as a kid, but grew away from the hobby in my teens and and adulthood. But back in about, I guess it was 2000, a friend asked me, he's like, when was the last time you were in a baseball card shop? And I'm like, gee, I don't know. A long time ago. And he's like, you know, check, check this out. And so, you know, obviously this is right around the time where products like Oh, I don't know, Upper Deck Century Legends had released the year before and previews were coming out for things like SP Legendary Cuts. And so the innovation in the hobby as far as autographs and memorabilia really kind of captured my interest. And I eventually took a wholehearted turn back into it, coupled with my love of sports. Uh, It just became something that I was, uh, I really loved. And continue to love today. How long have you been working with GTS? I was uh, hired as an independent contractor uh, in August of 2013. And then the following year, November 2014, uh, I came on board uh, as a full-time employee. What roles have you held within the organization? I've been a marketing manager, senior marketing manager, and now I'm the director of marketing for the sports and entertainment division. All right. Well, everyone seems to have an opinion on distributors and how they operate. However, it seems like most of this is based on speculation, and we haven't really heard a whole lot 
directly from distributors. And, and that's one of the, the main reasons that I wanted to have you on today to maybe help shed some light on, on distributors and, and the way they work. And since you work for one, that, that seems like a, a good fit there. But from your perspective, how would you describe the, the mission or the purpose of a distributor? I think the purpose of the distributor can kind of be simple and complicated at the same time. Um, our primary purpose is to help our vendor partners like, you know, trading card manufacturers get their hand, their products in the hands of our customers, which are hobby shops, dealers, breakers. So we fill the logistics of the supply chain that most manufacturers simply couldn't handle entirely on their own. Uh, as an example, GTS has nine warehouses across the country to ensure that, you know, no account is really more than like a two-day ship away. But, you know, additionally, I think we help uh, a manufacturer's own marketing initiatives. We can serve as an extension of their own marketing department. Uh, particularly in the case of like smaller manufacturers, we can produce content related to their products that they don't have the internal capacity to deliver. Uh, to collectors. So we can also assist in bringing, you know, new products uh, to market like you saw in recent years with the baseball treasure coins. And in addition to that, we're always looking for ways to source new product and market value to supply to our customers after release. That's interesting. And something that I hadn't really thought a lot about is, you know, when people typically think of it, they think of distributing the big three, tops. Panini and an upper deck, but playing a role for those smaller manufacturers is something that I hadn't really thought of. Do you have a feel for like how many different manufacturers you support? Uh, probably, I mean, you know, internally as a company, um, uh, you know, in addition to the sports and entertainment side, we have an entire uh, gaming uh, division that handles TCGs, board games, miniatures, supplies. So while none of that is in my purview, um, I could tell you that as a company, it's in the hundreds. On the sports and entertainment side, it's probably a few dozen. Okay. You'd kind of hit on how some of the manufacturers benefit from that distributor relationship. What would you say the benefits are for a hobby shop to work with a distributor versus work with a manufacturer direct? I think uh, in, in a lot of cases, other than, you know, outside of the typical supply chain, um, to give some examples at a more micro level, um, that also ties to how we help manufacturers. I mean, for example, all the manufacturer promotions that get run, National Baseball Card Day, Hockey Card Day, Black Friday, Father's Day, all of that is facilitated through distributors. Um, so for hobby shops, you know, an example is, um, you know, we often pay their registration fees to various manufacturer conferences. Uh, we also run points on customer service issues for them. Uh, I also know that, you know, some stores run our product preview videos on monitors in their stores to create awareness and interest in upcoming product releases. And for, uh, I think, you know, to break it down even further, you know, we help the cost, the consumer, the collector, um, be able to make some informed buying decisions, whether that's a detailed look we give to new products and our worldwide 
uh, box breaks on the live show or, you know, a lot of times we've all had it happen where you pull a prospect auto and you don't really know who it is. Well, chances are we have a future watch player profile of that person up on the blog at gogts.net. So I think we're able to help, you know, in, in every step, whether it's um, providing value to the manufacturer, the hobby shop, or the end consumer. Now, in the general marketplace, direct-to-consumer brands are continuing to take hold. You know, Fulfilled by Amazon continues to gain steam. And even within the hobby, we're seeing more and more products being sold by manufacturers directly to consumers. I guess in your opinion, how do you think distributors will continue to add value in this changing environment? How will they continue to kind of stay relevant to this overall trend we're seeing in the more broad marketplace? Sure. Um, it's one of the things we've talked about internally. Obviously, manufacturers have found a way to um, tap into a direct B2C marketplace, uh, which is great for generating revenue for them. And while that channel obviously continues to, to grow, there's really you know, no indicators that we've been given by our manufacturing partners that the traditional distribution methods are ever going to go away completely. They just they can't handle the logistics. So, you know, in addition to the, to the ways I've already mentioned, you know, we can add continued value in the landscape through strategic partnerships, promotional events, content production, other marketing initiatives. And honestly, as a result of all that, our relationships with the manufacturers has never been stronger. How would you say one distributor differentiates themselves from their peers? It's a good question, and I can honestly only speak to GTS, but in our case, I think you can look at things like the Go GTS Live Show or National Hobby Shop Day, uh, the amount of market content marketing we produce, uh, our annual Customer Appreciation Day at the NFL Rookie Premier, uh, all as prime examples of how we distinguish ourselves from our competitors. But I think one of the most important things to know also is we're one of the more aggressive buyers on the secondary market. Uh, to make sure that our customers have product when they need it. You can't read Twitter or the blowout forum threads about new products over the last couple of years and have distributors being brought up without hearing the topic of allocations. Sure. Can you share some insight about how that process typically works? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're in uncharted waters in the hobby because of the unprecedented supply demand equation that currently exists. So got to understand that allocations first occur from the manufacturer down to the distributor, then onto the hobby shop and breakers and dealers, et cetera. So uh, internally we use a pretty equitable model where allocations are, are earned. And I think that's, that's the key word. They're earned based on a variety of factors, including things like sales volume, product line, and manufacturer purchases. So as an example, someone who's purchased more Panini basketball products in recent years will earn a higher allocation of newer product compared to those who have purchased less. You know, other factors that play into that equation are, you know, a customer's current payment status. Are they living up to their terms? You know, are they slow pay? Things of that nature. Those will often also influence or impact their ability to earn allocations as well. So it, 
it may not be a perfect science, but what I can say is it's equitable and applied to each account across the board. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It seems like for sure there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Personally, one of the things that I worry about is that there's still that potential to consolidate even more the the people who have the supply of of cards. And so while I think, yeah, it makes sense that there is a a formula or a model or a process used to determine who's going to end up with what, it seems like it'd still be a challenge to balance out to make sure that the big don't just continue to get bigger at the expense of product being in hand throughout the entire country or throughout the entire um, world for that matter, for, for other demand outside of the US. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tricky equation and it's something that, you know, exists outside the hobby channel as well. I mean, when was the last time you were able to walk into a big box store and actually purchase something you wanted off of the shelf at Target or Walmart? You're seeing the same things happen there. Sure, sure. Now these threads often also contain some anecdotal examples from some shop owners where their original order that they put in was cut due to allocations and then right at release they were contacted by their distributor with the opportunity to buy more at full market price and the speculation is that the distributor was holding back a portion of that original allocation from the manufacturer and instead of selling it through at wholesale price like in the, the traditional sense, they hold it back and then sell it at full market in a, in a desire to, to kind of boost their own profits at the expense of the hobby shop. Now, I know you can't speak to anybody but GTS, obviously, but can, can you speak to that at all? Is there, is there any truth to how that, that process works? Yeah, I can definitely provide some insight into that. You have to understand that in today's market, a quote order is really more of a wish list because of the na nature of allocated product. Allocations, as mentioned, are earned on the aforementioned model. So the only time we quote cut orders is if manufacturers cut allocations to us. That, that's a definite misnomer. You know, when a, when a hobby shop says, you know, I placed an order for X and only got X, well, you, you, you have to understand you didn't necessarily earn the allocation of your wish list quote order. So we didn't cut you, you just simply didn't earn the allocation that you desired. So like I said, the only time we cut orders is when manufacturers cut allocations to us. So it's also a common practice to make sure that we have inventory available. That's why we're always aggressively buying on the secondary market. But yeah, a small percentage of product may be held back to account for things like misshipments, delays in shipping, or damage. You know, one of your best customers gets a damaged case. What are you going to do? Oh, you're just SOL. So we need to be able to overnight that product to customers if need be. So that may mean we have additional product after release at market price because we can't always allocate 100% because we need to manage that inventory responsibly. And it also depends on the product. And sometimes we may not hold anything. 
So that's not necessarily that there is a percentage of product that is intentionally being held back solely for the ability to market it at full, full market price. Yeah, there's no conspiracy there. One of the other things that I kind of wondered on my own that plays into this is, you know, you just mentioned the fact that you are continuing to actively buy product on the secondary market. Is, is that a part of it too? Like some of that product that you're buying back at, or you're buying from other shops or whatever it might be on the secondary market, that is what you're making available to people at those kind of marked up prices. It's not that original allocation from the manufacturer, but it's some of that product that you've bought back on the secondary market. Is that a piece of it too? Absolutely. We are always, I mean, you can go to the gtsdistribution.com website right now and you're going to see a banner that says GTS is buying. And because our customers need to be able to sell product, we're more than willing to go acquire it at the current market value and sell it to them at a price that hopefully they can still make money on it. But that's a decision that they're obviously going to have to, to make on their own. But yeah, a lot of times that is the case where, you know, we have purchased product on the secondary market that's now available. So our salespeople will call up their accounts and say, I've got X. Okay. You mentioned earlier also that it seems like, at least from a GTS perspective, your relationship with the manufacturers is stronger than ever. Can you describe the process that you guys have for sharing and receiving feedback with the manufacturers? Absolutely. So in addition, obviously, to attending annual meetings, uh, we're in regular communication with all the manufacturers. In fact, I've personally been on you know, numerous calls where I've been asked for feedback as it relates to aspects of product development, new license acquisition, and our entire category management team, I mean, regularly communicates with manufacturers on a wide range of topics from everything from product release dates, feedback on product sell-through, current inventory levels, et cetera. So that dialogue is not only consistent, it's near constant. Another thing you mentioned earlier was the live show. And so I was wondering if maybe we could spend a couple minutes talking about Go GTS Live and how did that show originate with you and Ivan? Uh, it's something I love talking about because it was um, something near and dear to my heart. But uh, it all stems back to um, friendship and partnerships I had with two individuals in the hobby, Doug Cataldo and Russ Cohen. Uh, Doug Cataldo was really a pioneer and an innovator uh, with internet media and podcasting in general uh, through the old Card Corner Club.com um, website and the Card Corner radio show. And I was a part of that. We eventually um, merged or were acquired by Cardboard Connection and transitioned the show title to uh, Cardboard Connection Radio and used uh, the blog talk format to host that. It was a live call-in show, which was you know, also an industry first. Uh, but it became apparent to me that because of the visual nature of the hobby and the products that we're talking about, it only made sense to eventually transition that to a, a video format. So we had been in contact um, 
with GTS about perhaps acquiring um, the show itself uh, due to some unfortunate, you know, disagreements uh, with my business partner. Um, you know, he and I had a parting of the ways. Uh, he wanted kind of out of the business, but I retained the rights and IT and social media and everything for the card corner or excuse me, the cardboard connection radio show. So after I started with GTS on a contractor basis, I had started talking to them about, uh, let's transition this to a live video show and what would that look like? And they eventually bought in full force, but instead of acquiring it from an outside perspective, now that I was an internal person, um, you know, I said that I would host it, I would produce the content for it. And so at this point, I just needed to find a co-host um, because my business partner was no longer involved. So immediately who came to mind was the one and only Ivan Lovegren at Watch the Breaks. Um, I knew that his um, <laughs> interesting wit, his knowledge and um, his influence would be a great addition. So he and I had some conversations and we decided to go ahead. And we're now, we just broadcast our 180th show. So it's going strong now in its fifth year and uh, hope to continue doing it for many years to come. Very cool. Now, when it comes to content creation, which you guys are doing pretty much on a weekly basis, I've got a, a question that, that surrounds that. So I've generally tried to keep a positive tone with my content, both on the blog and on the podcast. But at the same time, I think it's important to be transparent about sometimes the not so great things that happen uh, in the hobby. And at times I find myself challenged on how to walk that line. Sure. And I was wondering if you might be able to share your perspective. You're, you've been creating content for, for quite a while now. Your perspective on that topic. Yeah, it is a fine line. Um, my, my advice would be to keep in mind that I think realizing that there's pros and cons to every product and two sides to every story have to be your cornerstone when it comes to producing content. Um, I mean, the manufacturers, think about it, they got a huge responsibility. They work really hard to produce products that appeal to as many people as possible. And they're not always gonna get it right. So there's so many products for different tastes, different price points. The bottom line, you'll never be able to please all the people all the time. And having been on the hobby or the media side of the hobby for close to 20 years, I'd say, it's really, really important, Mike, not to burn bridges. Uh, I actually had to learn that the hard way a couple times uh, in my early days in the hobby. I was a bit of a hothead. Um, I was ready to find a conspiracy under every rock. But at the end of the day, you know what I realized? We're talking about a hobby. I mean, how upset can you really get about shiny cardboard? So you have to take that into consideration when you're producing content because you never know. I mean, it really depends, you know, what do you want to do in the hobby? Are you content just doing this? Would you like to see your role in the hobby grow? Things of that nature obviously have to come into consideration when you're producing content. And for us at GTS, I mean, you know, 
to a degree, we have to be pretty neutral in Switzerland um, just because of the nature of our relationships with our manufacturing partners. So, you know, we've been called out for not, you know, diving more into the trimming issue and shill bidding and things of that nature. But the way I look at it, you know, it's, it's my job to report on that in the live show during our hobby happening segments, but I don't have to do an hour deep dive into it. You know, that I report, you decide kind of thing. So those are all things to take into consideration and advice that I would have, but most importantly, don't burn your bridges. It seems like uh, a piece of that not burning bridges idea can come from the approach or the tone used in sharing feedback. And, And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on maybe some best practices or, or ways to connect with a manufacturer to share feedback, both positive and constructive in a way that comes across as thoughtful, meaningful, and well-intentioned versus combative and accusatory and, and that type of thing. Any thoughts, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that should be on a one-on-one basis, not out in public on Twitter or Facebook. Um, you know, it's very easy behind the anonymity of a keyboard to, to shoot something off. But if you're looking to have a true constructive dialogue with a manufacturer, there are numerous ways to get a hold of them one-on-one, whether that's on the phone or email. And I think that that one-on-one conversation will be much better received than firing a shot across the bow on social media. Rob, thank you for joining me. I think we we hit on a lot of topics that have been on people's minds when it comes to um, dis- this distributors and distributor relationships. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can people follow along with what you're doing and, and reach out to you? Uh, I encourage everyone to um, either subscribe to the RSS feed for the blog, gogts.net, Follow us on social media at GoGTSLive, as well as if you're a B2B person interested, um, obviously follow GTS Distribution on Twitter and Facebook. We try to push content to all those various platforms, but most importantly, tune into the live show every Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, just about anywhere you can stream to, we're there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rob. Absolutely. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Thanks again to Rob for coming on the show and sharing a little more about the distributor uh, relationship and how distributors work. I really appreciate it. And I also really appreciate Starstock.com. They've been one of our sponsors since earlier this year, prior to their launch as they were getting ready. And now that they are live, It's been really uh, growing quickly, in my opinion. I see the number of cards on the site continue to climb. I submitted four cards. My fourth submission is starting to pop. I'm starting to see some sales already, and it's been working out really well. So if you're looking for a place to buy and sell rookie and prospect cards from the three major sports, I would recommend you check out starstock.com. Also check out the Hobby Hotline live every Saturday morning. And it's a live call-in show where you get to call in and ask about whatever hobby topic is on your mind. Well, that's all I've got for you today, so I'll catch you next time.